You're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Happy New Year, everybody. It's so great to be with you as we begin a new year. Let's all hope that it's better than the last, but also let's trust that God will help us through it all. Uh, Well, when I was a kid growing up, I learned a thing that's called the Shorter Catechism. A catechism is essentially a summary of Christian doctrine set up as a series of questions and answers, uh, which a person, a a catechist, I think, or a catechite, I'm not sure what the term is, uh, they then memorise these so that they learn theology that way. Uh, The Shorter Catechism is one of the most famous and it comes out of the Protestant Reformation. It's called the Shorter Catechism because even though there's 107 questions and answers, there's actually a longer and a larger version that you can learn as well. I was fortunate enough to have a father who taught me the Catechism. Uh, Even though I was very young, he wanted me to understand theology and so he would actually get a little teddy bear and the teddy bear would ask the question and I'd answer to the teddy bear. It was the only teddy bear in history to say the word sanctification, Uh, but a very valuable lesson all through it. Uh, And most of what I learned of those decades ago, basically four decades ago now almost, uh, I've forgotten some of it, but there's lots of it that I've remembered. In particular, the very first question and answer. The question is, what is the chief end of man? The answer is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Basically, that's summarising what is the meaning of life? What is the purpose? It's not some random idea that we have to go out there and discover. It's not 42 or anything like that. The meaning of life, the purpose of life is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's what we're here for. That's the whole goal and purpose. Now, to glorify God is to give him the honour that he is due. In the languages of the Bible, the the word glory actually uh, means something like weight. So to glorify God is to acknowledge his weight, to, to help the world see how good he is. That's the goal. In everything that we do and everything that we are, we seek to show the world how glorious our God is. And I've come over the years to understand this and to celebrate this and to embrace that more and more. But I'd have to say that I've often found it harder to enjoy God. That concept was a more foreign uh, thing for me. Now, that might seem strange. I mean, who wouldn't want to enjoy God? But it's actually been difficult for me to do that. Partly that's because I, I grew up intimidated by God. I had a very strong sense of his glory and his holiness And it's hard to imagine just enjoying a being like that. To to enjoy this uh, thrice holy God seems almost too casual. And, of course, there's something to that. Psalm 2, verse 11, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Psalm 33, verse 8, let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. So there should be. There is a godly sense of caution when we approach God. But there was something else happening as well that was affecting my ability to enjoy God. You see, to enjoy something feels very free and fun, and God didn't feel like that to me. I knew him as a lawgiver, the God of thou shalt not, the God of no, 
don't do this. Uh, a God who killed joy rather than a God you enjoyed, if that makes sense. And perhaps you've had that same experience as well. But over time, I started to get to know him better and to understand better how I could enjoy him. Uh, for instance, I remember going to a wedding some years ago. This is probably 15 years ago. And uh, the guy who was preaching for the sermon passage in the wedding, he chose John 2, where Jesus is at a wedding and he performs his first miracle, turning water into wine. And, and this guy was saying, here is the God that we serve. He wants to be at the wedding. He wants to be at the celebration. Here is a God who enjoys the good things, who wants us to enjoy them as well. I mean, think about it. You've got a wedding, you've got romance, you've got wine. I mean, here is a God who wants to be enjoyed. That's a beautiful picture. Or think about Jesus with children. I may have said this before, but often when I was growing up, when I watched Jesus in the Gospels, it felt like he was always grumpy. He's always uh, angry at the religious leaders or frustrated, let down by his disciples. That was the impression I had. It constantly they weren't matching up somehow. But then I was reading Matthew 19. Then children were brought to him that he might lay his hands on them and pray. The disciples rebuked the people, but Jesus said, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and went away. Now, now for a long time when I'd read that, I'd just focus on what Jesus was saying to the disciples telling them off. But then it struck me one day, or God showed me, the beauty of the children coming to Jesus. You see, they wanted to come to Jesus. They loved Jesus. And that says something about Jesus, doesn't it? About God. You see, little kids don't come to grumpy adults. They don't enjoy that. They'll stay away from them. From, they'll stay away from stern, angry, frustrated people. And so if they were running up to Jesus, if the disciples felt like they had to stop them, it tells us that Jesus was someone to be enjoyed, that God is someone to be enjoyed. And that's what we're going to be thinking about over the coming weeks. It's January. Most Januaries, we try to do a, a series that sets us up for the new year, something that helps renew our energies and refocuses us for the months to come. Uh, this year, we've chosen this series, Enjoying God, for a couple of reasons. First of all, it's just a wonderful concept. It's humbling and exciting to know that we have a God who can be, who wants to be enjoyed. And it feels like the kind of message we need to be reminded of. Uh, last year was just so long and so difficult. There were times where it felt very hard to enjoy God. And so we wanted to start the new year with something positive, something uplifting, something that will break through the masks that you're wearing right now, something that reminds us of how good God is, but also set us up for those times where it's hard. How do we enjoy God? How do we find joy in all circumstances, as the Apostle Paul speaks about? And so that's what we're planning to do. Today, I want to talk about how we can enjoy God every day, in uh, the little things of life, in the deep things that we live through, and what is the best thing of all. So I'll talk about that today. Next week, I want to talk about how we can enjoy God in our worship, reading the Bible and praying. And in the weeks after that, we'll look at enjoying God in uncertainty, in pain, and in plenty. Uh, a couple of things to note. We've been inspired for this series by the book by Tim Chester called Enjoying God. Who knew? It's... it's uh, 
I haven't actually read the whole thing, but it's fantastic <laughs> what I have read. <laughs> Um, so I would encourage you, it's a very easy read. Uh, why don't you grab this if you had a chance, grab this book, Enjoying God. And then if you want to go to the next level, you might check out Desiring God. This is a classic I've written in the last 30-odd years. Uh, I was looking through this the other day, my copy, and it's probably the book that is the most written on book in my library. It's just an extraordinary book, uh, very profoundly influential in my own life. So please consider reading that. One other thing to note, uh, that I, we, you would have noticed we didn't do a Bible reading this morning. Normally we do one big Bible reading. What we're going to do today is actually uh, I'm going to intersperse uh, passages throughout this sermon, not just one passage. But if there was one passage I wanted you to know today, it would be this one. James 1 verse 17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. Today I want us to see that we have a good God that we can enjoy every day in the little things, the deep things, and the biggest thing. We live, let me think first of all about the little things. We live, says Tim Chester, in a fathered world. The world that we inhabit has a father. Uh, basically, he means that every experience that we have comes from a loving God who's actively involved in our lives and eager to fill them with good things. So everything we see, everything we hear, everything we touch and smell comes ultimately from God, the God who wants us to experience goodness. Forgive me if you've heard this story before, but when I was a kid, we didn't have a Christmas tree. We had a Christmas string. Uh, the night before Christmas, my parents would set up a string from uh, that tie it to the end of our bed, and this string would sort of trace all the way through the house. And in the morning, we'd get up and we'd follow this string, and every five metres or so, there'd be a present, we'd open it, and then we'd kind of go another five metres, and, and as the string was going longer and longer, it would kind of build to this crescendo, like a massive bike at the end of it or something like that. It was just so exciting, it was so fun as we were kind of going through this experiencing uh, God's, uh, sorry, my parents, <laughs> my parents' goodness to us. And I use that example because that's what God is doing for us. My parents would lay out the string on Christmas Day. God lays out the string every day for you. There are so many little things in your world that God has set up for you to enjoy. Think about your average day or your every day. My cat wakes me up at 20 past five. I resent this, but then I get to pat his fur. It's really nice and he's purring all over me. And then I go downstairs and once the coffee's kicked in, I have an hour and a half on my own. And I just love it. It's this special time. Read the Bible, go for a walk, I pray, I have this fellowship with God. I feel enlivened and energised for the day. I go and have some breakfast. Today, my wife made this incredible thing. She has this innate ability to make anything, the, the most simple thing, taste incredible. Like if you have a toasted sandwich, you need to have it an Havana toasted sandwich. <laughs> Today, there was like this incredible different type of tomato that she put in with like the egg and there was this aioli and it was just so good. And I'm just so thankful to her, but I'm also thankful to God. He's giving me these good things. And all through my day, there'll be good things. 
There's meaningful work that I can do. There's great relationships that I can enjoy. There's sport I can watch on TV. There's things that I can listen to. Everything. There is so much that is good. Tim Chester says, we have no reason to be bored in God's world. There's so much there. The world is a magical place. He says, pick up anything, anything, and you hold in your hand a thing of wonder. And he actually compares it to Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. You know, Willy Wonka, this amazing chocolate factory. There's only five kids who get the golden ticket. Well, guess what? We've all got a golden ticket to experience God's wonderful world. This is what we get to have. All of these things are gifts from God, the little things that show us that he is the father of lights who gives every good and every perfect gift. John Calvin said that all the things that we enjoy are ladders by which we may ascend nearer to God. All of these things, when we recognize the giver and worship him, we'll enjoy him. So we enjoy God in the little things, but also the deep things. See, there's lots of things that we enjoy in life, things like family and friendship, fulfilling work, rest, creating things. And Why do we enjoy them? What's actually there? What's going on underneath? I think it's actually because we've been made to enjoy them, because God enjoys them. And here's something deep about who we are. See, the Bible says that we are made in God's image, Genesis 1.26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. We were made to be just like God. And God enjoys all of those things. God is the one who works. God is the one who creates and enjoys creating. He's a relational being who invites us to call him father or friend. And so when we enjoy the same things that he enjoys, it actually points to how we've been made in his image and likeness. This is what I want to suggest to you, the deep things. We enjoy God by enjoying the way he's made us, by being who he has made us to be and doing what he has made us to do. We enjoy him when we enjoy the ways we are like him. I want to suggest three areas that we can do this uh, practically. The first is to enjoy our work. Uh, work has a massive impact on our lives. The average person doing a nine-to-five job has about 2,000 hours of work ahead of them this year. If you work 40 hours a week for 40 years, that's 80,000 hours. The chances are you'll be doing plenty more than that. Uh, if you saw last year, you uh, work from home means it just leaks out into everything. And of course, those stats don't include the mountain of work, looking after your household, looking after kids. Now, often we resent all of this. I was back at work yesterday and I can tell you, I felt it. Pretty much every word of this sermon felt like work. Uh, <laughs> often we figure we're doing work only because we have to. Work sucks, but I need the bucks. That kind of idea, and we live for the weekend. You think of that restaurant, TGIF. Thank God that it's Friday. You know, that's what we think for. We're living for Friday. But actually, we're pretty lost without work. Even just after a couple of weeks' holiday, you can feel frustrated, want to go back to work. If you've lost work during the lockdown, then you know this even more profoundly, 
that there was something missing in your life. I mean, it was fun to take up crochet for a couple of weeks, but then you needed something bigger, something deeper. You needed work. That's because you were made to work. Yes, rest is good and important. We'll get to that in a minute. But work is vital to us. We were made not for Friday, but for Monday. That's how we were made. And that's because we've been made in God's image. And God is a worker. See, the Bible begins with these epic words, Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The very first words of the Bible tell us that God works. This means fundamentally that work itself is good. God only does that which is valuable and important. And so he works and so therefore work is a good thing. Tim Keller says, work was not a necessary evil that came into the picture later or something human beings were created to do, but that was beneath the great God himself. No, God worked for the sheer joy of it. God works. He enjoys working. And that's why he made work enjoyable for us. He made us in his image and said we were made to work. Genesis 2.15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. That means that work is fundamental to who we are. Keller again says work is as much a basic human need as food and beauty and rest and friendship and prayer. According to the Bible, we don't merely need the money from work to survive. We need the work itself to survive and live fully human lives. We need it. These are the deep things. God enjoys work. He made us to enjoy work. And we enjoy him when we embrace that, when we do what we're made to do, when we be what we were made to be. But, of course, there's a, there's a real key here that is absolutely crucial to enjoying God and enjoying our work, and that is to work with God, to work for God. See, work has fallen apart for us. Work is difficult and frustrating and futile because humans stopped doing that. We were made to work with God and for God, but we turned away from him and then everything was ruined. Genesis 3.17, cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And then verse 19, by the sweat of your face you shall eat your bread. Like, Work wasn't meant to be so hard and horrible. It's only sin that has broken that up for us and disrupted it. But the glorious thing is that when we come back to God, when we repent and turn to him once more, then we get the chance to work with him again, to work for him. Work is then restored to something of purpose and fulfilment. And I want you to see and understand the true glory, the grandeur of work. See, our job in working is to help creation flourish. That's what work's about, helping creation flourish. We get that picture in Genesis 1:28. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now, when we first hear those words, subdue and dominion, we're worried by those words. We think that it means something destructive, but that's not actually the idea. God is asking us to do something positive in the world and with 
the world. He's made us the the people who look after his world. He's entrusting it to us and inviting us to do something uh, positive with it. See, the world that he's created is, is energetic. It's bursting with life and possibility. And it's our job to bring those possibilities out. That's what God's asking us to do. Keller once more, God left creation with deep untapped potential for cultivation that people were to unlock through their labour. That's what we get to do. We unlock the potential in God's world. That's work. That's exciting, isn't it? I mean, it could look uh, very different for each one of us. Sometimes it's obvious. It's, It's getting a piece of wood from the world and making a building out of it. It's kind of obvious getting a crop and harvesting it, making sure that it gives food and life for others. Often it's more subtle. It's observing the laws of physics that God has put in place and then using them to develop machines and inventions. So we, as Keller says, we arrange the raw material of God's creation in such a way that it helps the world in general and people in particular thrive and flourish. That's what we get to do. God has put potential in everything and now he asks us to bring it out. And when we do this, we flourish as well. See, as we bring out the potential in the world, God is bringing the potential out of us. So you might find your abilities that God has given you. Some people can look at a spreadsheet and see a pattern. Some people like Elise embrace spreadsheets. It's bizarre. (laughs) Some people can look at a machine and and just sense how it works. I can only break machines. Some of you see a horde of five-year-olds and instead of running away, you come into the classroom. Like that's your desire to be a teacher. God has made you that way. He's wired you. These are God's gifts to you. He invites you to use them, to come alongside him and do the work of helping creation flourish. We flourish in our work when we help all things to flourish. And as that's happening, we come to enjoy God at a deeper level. We come to see what he has made and how he has made us. It's a glorious thing. So enjoy your work this year. That's one of the deep things that God invites you to do. The second thing is enjoy your rest this year. We're sometimes a bit embarrassed about rest. You know, when someone asks how we are, oh, I'm busy, I'm good, but I'm busy. Like even if we're not busy, we feel compelled to say that we're busy because everything around us tells us that's what we're supposed to be. We're supposed to look productive and efficient. And so it's easy to feel guilty about rest, but we don't need to be. Rest is a good thing. Rest is a good thing that God has given us. In fact, rest is something that God himself has done. Genesis 2, thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Now, the way God rests is different to us. He doesn't need it the way that we do. He still maintains the world, uh, sustains it and keeps it going. But he takes rest as a moment to celebrate. He's finished his creation on day six. And so on day seven, he stops and enjoys it. He celebrates the fruit of his labours. 
And now he invites us to do the same. We were made to work. We work and work and work. But then we were also made to stop, to rest, to celebrate rest, to enjoy that, to sink into that, to enjoy the fruit of our labours. Now, this can be a strangely difficult thing to do, so I want to suggest a few ways that we can practically do this. The first thing is that we need to try and guard our rest, to actually make it a non-negotiable. We wouldn't let rest invade our work, would we? In the middle of the day, you feel you can't just sort of stop and just watch TV for two hours. You know that you have to keep working. So when you're, if you don't let uh, rest invade your work, don't let work invade your rest. Set that time apart as much as you can. And then plan it out. Uh, one of the best things I've found on this is an article by Tim Keller. Man, he's getting a good run today. It's like the fifth mention. But uh, a really fantastic article that he writes about the Sabbath and how we can enjoy the Sabbath, the day of rest. And he talks about the f- different elements that you want to include in your rest. The first thing he says is contemplative rest. This is the time where you stop and you just meditate on God's goodness. Maybe you take some time to reflect on the week that's passed. Perhaps you even just write down a few things. You think, oh, wow, thank you, God, for being present in this situation, this conversation or this uh, opportunity or this challenge. Thank you for helping me through that. And maybe you take a moment to write down the things that you're still stressed about and then leave them with him so that you can just uh, put that aside and enjoy rest with him because it's hard to gear down. And then take some time to, to really focus on him. Spend some time reading the Bible. Maybe there's another great Christian book like Desiring God or Enjoying God that you can read a couple of chapters of. Maybe uh, make sure you spend some time praying. If it's a Sunday, then make sure you're here, worshipping with God's people. Maybe afterwards you can have lunch with someone or a dinner with someone and just make sure that you're sharing something that God is doing in your hearts, in your lives. You're celebrating God together. That's the kind of contemplative rest that is so helpful. And then that leads to what Keller calls aesthetic rest. We do this when we just celebrate God's work and enjoy his goodness. Uh, I said earlier that we see God's goodness all the time, every day, but take some time to just stop and really smell the roses. Like really stop and celebrate all that God is doing in your world. And Take a moment to to do the things that remind you of God's goodness. Maybe it's going out into nature or going for a swim or watching a really good movie or listening to music. Whatever it is that helps you be reminded that God is good, take that time. Uh, This is one of the best things, I think, for people with families. Um, It's really hard to rest when you have kids. Often I'm more tired at the end of the day than I was at the start. Um, But one of the things that I really love is when we as a family go out somewhere together, go on an adventure. It doesn't have to be a very fancy adventure. It can be Eastern Beach at Geelong. That's where we went the other day. That's an adventure. That counts. (laughs) But it's so special spending time as a family with your kids. And, of course, you know, the kids are just punching each other in the back seat by the end and they're demanding McDonald's. But somehow you don't remember that. You remember the time that you had together. Uh, I'm like Captain Nostalgia. Like, 
I'm incredibly nostalgic and I can get nostalgic like in two or three days. So I'm already nostalgic about the visit we had to Eastern Beach the other day. It's a memory. We've created a memory together. So try and find those times, that kind of rest together. And the a third one is recreational rest. This is really your hobbies, the activities that you really enjoy, something that you love but also gives you a sense of achievement, a feeling of purpose. I often find if I just do nothing, I'm frustrated. So try to find something that gives you some level of achievement. It might be gardening, it might be reading a book, it might be playing a sport, it might be doing a jigsaw puzzle, playing a computer game, whatever your hobby is. Take some time to enjoy it. That's the glory that God has given us. We get to enjoy all of these wonderful things. He gives us space to rest. What a good God. We enjoy God when we enjoy the space and the time that he gives us. We talk about recreation. Think about that term, recreation. That's what happens when we rest. We are recreated. We become again the people that we were made to be. We have that space to reflect on who God is, all of his goodness and his kindness to us. We have space and time with our families. We're reminded of the things that excite us, that we enjoy. We become ourselves once more for the week ahead. We enjoy God in a deep way. And just a note here before I finish this bit is I've noticed that it's really hard for mums to find rest. Even when dads can find a rest, it's really hard for mums. You know, maybe you've got a, a really young baby. You don't get a chance. They don't, they don't say, all right, I'll just give you your space now. You know, I was like, I just really like you to watch that TV show and I'm just not going to distract you. You know, that's not what a toddler says. Uh, so I think uh, we need to make sure that our mums get rest. Uh, so fellas, make sure that your wife gets time in bed in the morning or whatever it is. Maybe she needs to get out with her friends or something like that. Really make sure that we invest in that because they, your wife needs rest just as much as you do. So I'm sorry, I haven't done that more. But <laughs> so these are one of the deep things that we enjoy. We enjoy our rest. Thirdly, I want to suggest that we can enjoy our relationships. Uh, work is important. Rest is important. But on their deathbed, no one regrets not working a bit more. No one regrets... Uh, not going to more sales meetings or doing just that extra PowerPoint presentation. Oh, if only I'd done it. You're not thinking that. But what you do regret are those relationships that were sacrificed. Perhaps you didn't spend enough time with your kids. Perhaps you fell out with a friend. You can't even remember what it was about. These are the things that we regret. And that's because we need relationships. They're precious. We were made for relationships. And that's because... God himself is relational. This is the beauty of the Trinity. It's an intimidating doctrine. What does it all mean? But it's also a beautiful one because at its heart, it's about how God is relational. There is a relationship long before the world began, eternally, from the eternity past. God the Father was relating to God the Son. God the Son was relating to the Spirit. The Spirit was relating to the Father. There is this dynamic of relationship and in fact, creation is just the overflow of this. God is a relational God and he wants others to experience him. And so he creates a whole world of people to experience him. 
and to experience relating to each other. We are relational because God himself is relational. And so we enjoy God when we enjoy our relationships, when we be what we were made to be. So practically, I think this means that we make time for our relationships. This year, maybe set a goal. that You'll have someone over for a meal once a week until that's banned again. Or something like that. Take every opportunity that you can have. Foster friendships. Find new relationships. I'm loving, we're loving getting to know the people on our street at the moment. Uh, it's just really a rich time for us. Strengthen old relationships. And then repair broken relationships. There's few things more difficult than a broken relationship. I mean, you know this, don't you? When you have a fight with someone who's precious to you, you'll be up at night. You won't be able to sleep. You'll be restless. You'll be depressed. You'll have this gnawing frustration within you. Whatever it is, it really deeply affects us. And it should. It's because we were made for relationships. That's how God made us. There's something good when we feel that, that discontent when that relationship is broken. So this year, step into that. Under God, seek him. Help, ask him to help you repair those relationships. Start by praying for that person. It's very hard to remain resentful when you're praying for that person. That's a loving thing to do. And then move towards them. Say sorry. It might be that you're only 10% responsible for the fight that you're having, but you're 100% responsible for that 10%. And that's something that you can do something about. So step into that relationship. Say sorry for that thing. I didn't make that up myself. I learned that from a book. Uh, it's called Resolving Everyday Conflict. Maybe you can read that book. That's one of the things you can do in your, your morning reflection or whatever it is. It's an amazing book. And then what I found is that when you step into that, sometimes it doesn't work, but almost always it does. And then you get to experience the joy of a restored relationship. See, as Christians, we, have this, we should have this unique ability and a desire and a commitment to repairing relationships because the ultimate relationship in our life has been restored. We had a broken relationship with God himself, but he came through, he came to us and restored that for us. And so that should inspire us and give us the skills and the humility to seek to restore the relationships around us. So make that a goal this year. And then finally, invest in your relationships with God's people. Um, as we see these cases come up the last few days, I'm so scared. I'm not scared of the virus. Hardly at all. What I'm scared about is a lockdown because I just hate the thought of being separated from God's people. I can't tell you how special it was a few weeks ago when we came back. Just so wonderful seeing you all again, seeing God's people once more. Like, that is so, uh, so necessary for us, so profound. Pursue that this year as much as we can for as long as we can. Let us gather together. If that's taken away from us, let's make sure that we're, we're phoning each other. Let's make sure that we're being around God's people in any way that we can. We need it. See, when I'm around you, I learn more about God. 
I see the God who is in you. It's an echo of me. It's the same God, the same spirit. And you teach me about God. I enjoy God more by spending time with you. So prioritise those relationships. And that leads to the third and the final thing. We celebrate and we enjoy God in the little things, in the deep things, and also the big thing, our relationship with God himself. The best thing about 2020 for me was God. There was lots of things that were difficult, COVID obviously and lockdowns, but there were other things as well. I found that that second lockdown really hit me hard emotionally, uh, mentally. For Ivana and I, there was stress of buying and selling a house, which was really difficult. Work was hard and we lost Lara, our beautiful niece, to the brain tumour. And what I could see was that when bad and difficult things are happening, we have a choice. We can either draw closer to God or we can pull away. That's what happens. Every time we have that choice, that's the choice that faces us. And what I've noticed is that whenever I've sought God, it's been so helpful. So last year I felt like God was drawing me closer constantly and it was just wonderful. I've enjoyed him in a deep and a personal and a profound and a powerful way. Uh, I've become acutely aware that God is my father and that he's leading me and he's guiding me. He's teaching me and he's training me and he's listening to me and he's speaking to me. He's showing me good things even in bad circumstances. And so I enjoyed God in a deep way, not just in a light and a fluffy way, but in a profound way. This was the best thing about 2020. And so I I actually can't imagine my life now without all of the hardship of last year because in that I drew closer to God. So I want to invite everyone here, all of us, to draw closer to God this year. Most of us are already believers. Let's make sure this year that we celebrate the best thing in our life, in our world, in our cosmos, in our universe, God himself. Draw close to him. And if you're not a Christian, I just want to encourage you and invite you and urge you to draw close to the one who has made you. I found it so hard at times getting through the difficulties of last year. And I cannot imagine being able to do anything if I didn't know my creator. If I didn't know that there was someone who was sovereign and above all of this and someone who was good that I could reach out to, that had the power to help me. We have this temptation whenever life is difficult to turn away from him or to draw to him. Life is hard only because of sin in this world. That's what makes things difficult. And then our sin makes it worse. We draw away from him rather than turning to him. And then when instead of thanking him for all of his goodness, we either just take his gifts and presume upon them and complain that there aren't more of them or we ignore him entirely or we just praise ourselves for every good thing in this world. But it's God who gave them. Every good and every perfect gift comes ultimately from him, the father of lights. 
And if you don't yet know him, you need to know the best gift of all, his son, Jesus Christ. Because even though we ignore God, even though we defy him and resist him, he kept reaching out and he sent his son, Jesus. He died on the cross for our sin, to pay for our sin and to give us a life that will be full and forever, a life with him. Ultimately, God gives himself in more ways than one. He gives his life, but he also, the life that he gives us is a life with him, enjoying him, a life made enjoyable by him, a life that will go on enjoying him forever, every day into eternity. Let's pray. Father God, we acknowledge you as the father of all things, the creator. We thank you that this world is not just made by you, but fathered by you. You're a God who makes life, but also fills that life with all good things. Forgive us when we turn away from you, when we ignore your goodness, when we presume upon your goodness, when we fail to thank you, uh, when we complain that you're not even better to us, even nicer to us. Forgive us for that. Thank you that you are still so relentless in your grace and your kindness, that ultimately, ultimately you sent your son Jesus, the greatest gift of all, to make up for our sin and to give us a new life that's full and forever. Help us, Lord God, to enjoy you this day, this year, and in the years to come. Help us to enjoy you every day, all the way into eternity. We thank you. We worship you because you are a God who can be enjoyed, who is worthy of enjoyment. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.